1: It is Thursday, May 26th, and this is People Every Day. Hello, everyone. It's me, Janine Rubenstein. I hope you've been taking care of yourself and your loved ones in the wake of this week's news. We, of course, have some important updates on the tragic shooting in Uvalde, Texas, including a powerful interview with the head of Moms Demand Action that's coming up. But we also have some updates on some of the biggest stories in entertainment today. So let's start there. A story that just broke today as we were putting our show together, Goodfellas actor Ray Liotta has died at the age of 67. Joining us now to talk about his sudden passing is People's senior writer, Julie Jordan, who just interviewed him uh, late last year. So thanks for joining us. What do we know?
0: It's actually so sad and sudden. No one saw this coming. He was shooting a movie called Dangerous Waters in the Dominican Republic. And according to a source close to him, he died in his sleep. They don't suspect any foul play, nothing suspicious. And his fiance, J.C. Natola, was with him while he was filming. So this was just an utter,
1: sudden and surprising loss goodness. He's leaving behind daughter Carson, who's 23. He had with ex-wife Michelle Grace as well. So sad. Uh, But he had so much going on, too. He recently appeared in the Sopranos prequel movie The Many Saints of Newark and the Amazon Prime series Hannah. What were you able to glean from him about his life and work in your recent interview with him?
0: I think I was just most impressed with how humble he was, and he was still working it. He did not find fame until he was 30. In his own words, he said, I am in no way finished yet. I still feel like I have a lot to prove. He has been having a resurgence in his career. He's truly was at the top of his game, um, constantly working. Again, so appreciative, though, of his journey, even though he said it wasn't quite the timeline he was hoping for. He was a tough interview. It was He did not like talking about something personal, but I got quickly that he was so in love with his fiance and so grateful that they had come together during the pandemic. He was blissfully content to be a dad, thought the world of his daughter, and was very proud of the woman she was becoming. I think what I'll always remember, though, is when I asked him how he hoped to be remembered, he said, I just want my friends and everyone that knows me to think that Ray, he was a character. And that's clearly like who he was and and what he wanted to project in the world, not just professionally, but as a person as well.
1: I love that line about how he said, despite all these tough guy roles that he's known for, he said, I, I've never been in a fight at all, <laughs> except for during sports. And that's just like pushing and goofy kid stuff. So he wasn't that villain that, you know, Hollywood cast him as so perfectly. <laughs>
0: He was good at it. That's the key. He was good at it on film, but off camera, I'm not going to go I'm not going to go as far to say he was a softy, but he was much more sensitive and kind of reflective on his life. He was adopted a as a baby and was so grateful that he had been given this life. He found his biological parents when he was 40, I believe, and made peace with the fact that the universe was doing its thing, and it could have gone a lot of different ways, but he found his way to acting. It made him, obviously, in an amazing uh, career. It, it created who he is, the person that we know and the person that we loved. He knew what he wanted, and he went after it, and I feel honored that I got to talk to him. That's, that's how I'm leaving it.
1: I am just so thankful I get to talk to you today and, and get to live in his, his memory and his work. So thank you so much, Julie. Of course. Have a good one. Well, moving on now to some major legal stories that surfaced yesterday. First off, Former 19 Kids and Counting star, Josh Duggar, was sentenced to more than 12 years in federal prison. Back in December, the 34-year-old was found guilty of two charges of knowingly receiving and possessing child pornography. Last May, Homeland Security agent Gerald Faulkner testified that Duggar had downloaded torrent files that included, quote, a series of child sexual abuse material involving minor children ranging from about 18 months of age to 12 years of age. The U.S. District Judge Timothy L. Brooks, who presided over the hearing, ruled that while Duggar did not knowingly distribute pornography, the materials he was convicted of downloading were, quote, horrific and sick, and described Duggar as a, quote, savvy offender with a, quote, pattern of pervasive, longstanding sexual interest in minors. Josh Duggar's cousin and former reality show co-star Amy Duggar King, who I interviewed back in 2016 for a cover story following the first major scandal involving Josh and some of his sisters, didn't mince words back then, and she isn't mincing words now. She posted a video to Instagram expressing relief that her cousin was sentenced, saying 12 and a half years isn't enough, but I hope that every single second he's there feels like an eternity. She also added this.
0: Unfortunately, I think more will come out, Um, but hopefully tonight I can sleep for the first time ever and just be rest assured that another monster will be put behind bars makes my heart feel just a little lighter.
1: Duggar is expected to appeal his sentencing, which also carries a fine of just over $50,000. If Amy's prediction is right, there will be much more to watch as this story unfolds. Then there's actor Kevin Spacey, who has been charged with sexual assault in the UK. Britain's Crown Prosecution Service announced today that the disgraced actor is facing four counts of sexual assault against three men. Spacey was also charged with another count of causing a person to engage in penetrative sexual activity without their consent. Two of the charges pertain to alleged incidents dating back to 2005 in London, with another charge stemming from 2008, and another... 2013 incident that allegedly took place in Gloucestershire in Western England. Now, Spacey is not currently in England or Wales, so the charges which have been authorized can't formally be applied until he enters one of those countries. As of right now, there are no reports of the UK seeking extradition. Now for the story still at the center of hearts and minds All around this country, around the world, there is just so much anger and so many unanswered questions surrounding this week's tragic mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, where 21 people, 19 students, and two teachers were killed when a gunman armed with assault rifles entered the building on Tuesday, just one day shy of their summer vacation. For me, it's the stories of the victims, like that of 10-year-old Amory Jo Garza, whose grandma told people she just made honor roll that day and whose last act was bravely trying to call 911 in the midst of the attack. She was a beautiful little hero. Tuesday's shooting reignited calls for stronger gun laws in the U.S. My guest now is someone who I think can give us some insight on where we can go from here. Shannon Watts is at the forefront of the movement for gun safety as the founder of Moms Demand Action, a grassroots organization striving to protect people from gun violence. So hello, Shannon. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time in the midst of all this. The the work that you do with Moms Demand Action is amazing. When you think about the tragedy that happened on Tuesday, how does this land with you?
2: I think we expected there to be an unprecedented amount of gun violence coming out of COVID because there were so many gun sales and because people had been inside their homes for so long that we weren't seeing these public shootings. Now, as we get back out into the world, these horrific things are happening, some of them motivated by hatred, whether it's 10 Black Americans being shot and killed inside a grocery store, or Asian Americans being killed inside a house of worship. It just seems unfathomable, and yet it's not because we live in America. And it just seems to happen again and again. And I started Moms Demand Action the day after the Sandy Hook school shooting. And this work, I thought originally, would be taken care of quickly by Congress. And we would all go back to our normal lives. Instead, what I've come to realize is that Congress is where this work ends. It's not where it begins. And that's why we've spent the last decade in city councils and in school boards and in state houses, even boardrooms, changing the culture of gun violence and saving lives through policies, through education, through state laws. And that's all life-saving work. And it all adds up. What do you say to people who say
1: nothing has changed after Sandy Hook?
2: I am not a fan of cynicism or hopelessness. I think too often it's used as an excuse to not do the work. Fifty percent of Americans have not been impacted by gun violence. I hate to tell them that gun violence is coming to their community unless they act. We can't just let people who are survivors do this work. It's on all of us. It's on every single American to stand up to their lawmakers and to gun lobbyists and to say enough. And that's what our volunteers do every single day. We are in every sa- state, and every city, and we have 8 million supporters now. We're larger than the NRA. This is working. This work takes time. It took 100 years for all women to have the right to vote. It took 100 years for the civil rights movement to come to fruition. We can't give up after a decade. We've
1: heard the argument over and over again that adding more police and more guns will make us safer um, when it comes to schools, Um, will make our kids safer. But the question is, is that even the truth?
2: It's not true. The data does not show us that arming teachers or school resource officers makes anyone any safer. In fact, what you see are people accidentally leaving their loaded guns in bathrooms, or on desks. We also know that black and brown students are disproportionately disciplined. And then you add guns in the mix. And that would be terrifying for parents. When you look at the recent shootings, there were armed guards there. There were armed security officers in Uvalde and in Buffalo. And I can give you many other school shooting examples where they had armed security guards. And it is just simply not enough to stop someone who has an AR-15 and body armor and ultimately a death wish. This is what the gun lobby has created.
1: To that end, what do you make of of Ted Cruz's comments regarding the unlocked back door and hardening schools? Is there any evidence that that saves lives?
2: No, that is a gun lobby talking point. Now, first of all, I want to say, when you look at things that, that lawmakers have blamed, it's everything from too many doors and now not enough doors Violent video games, mental illness, godlessness, single parenting, Ritalin, the list goes on and on. And it's always everything but easy access to guns, right? But also, let's put into perspective what we know. We know that this school district had its own police force. We know that it had a security guard. We know they had invested tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in security systems. It wasn't enough to keep this 18 year old with a semi-automatic rifle from massacring elementary school students and teachers. It isn't about making our schools like prisons. It's about keeping guns out of our schools in the first place.
1: Can you talk a little bit about something that's floating around out there, this intersection of mental illness and gun violence? And just, I want to see if you can dispel any of the myths that you've heard surrounding that.
2: Mental illness is always a go-to because it's such an amorphous idea that you can't pin a lawmaker down on what they mean. Let's be clear. When you look at America compared to peer nations, we rank ninth in mental illness issues. We are not more mentally ill, but we have a 26 times higher gun homicide rate than any pure nation. That would point to the fact that it's easy access to guns. I also want to say that that is so stigmatizing to people who are mentally ill, people with mental illness are much more likely to be victims of violence instead of perpetrators. And I also want to point out that Governor Greg Abbott, who keeps blaming mental illness for what happened in Uvalde, he cut over $200 million in mental health funding from his budget. So if he truly thinks that's the issue, he certainly isn't trying to solve it.
1: I really, truly, deeply appreciate the work you do. And Shannon, I want to get involved. I know a lot of our listeners probably do, too. So so what can we do to, to join?
2: It is so easy to get involved. All you have to do is text the word ACT to 64433, and we will get back in touch with you right away and let you know how you can plug in where you live. You can also find us at MomsDemandAction.org, and we have, obviously, Instagram and Facebook pages for every state and a Twitter handle, too.
1: I just want to thank you for helping lead the charge. So thank you so much for stopping
2: by. Thank you for caring about this issue.
1: Mayor is never an easy way to transition from a story like that to anything else, but we are going to do our best. Coming up, we have a special guest joining us to give us a bird's eye cultural view of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial that is currently wrapping up. We talk about how much this case really matters in the big picture. We'll be right back. The Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard defamation case heard around the world is nearing an end as closing arguments are slated for tomorrow. This battle amongst exes has taken us all on a wild ride with twists and turns as each day goes by. So to help me shuffle through the latest hot takes from The Stand and what this case means from a cultural standpoint or doesn't mean from a cultural standpoint is Natalie Shore, journalist from The New Republic. Hey, Natalie, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Well, your article, Stop Trying to Extract Larger Lessons from the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp Trial, touches on the cultural context of this trial and, and just the effects it's having on society. For those who don't know, can you take us through what you think people are trying to find answers to in this case and why you think they're coming up short?
3: I think that from both sides, there are people who are trying to project political narratives onto this case. I think that from the left, from the more pro-amber side, you have a lot of people who are feminists, progressives who are very hell-bent on believing her and think that any pushback against her version is emblematic of the fact that we are still so reluctant to believe women, that we are so desperate to protect and uphold a powerful man, that we are ripping her to shreds. And I think on the other side, you have a lot of men's rights activists, right-wingers, who are salivating over this case, pointing at it and saying, see, see, women are all like this. All women lie about these things. They're just out to attack men. I don't think that either of those things are fair. I think that you have here a very unique situation between two extremely rich people who who treated each other very badly, and that there are non-misogynist reasons to believe that Amber Heard has not been entirely honest about her claims.
1: Well, a long awaited witness finally took the stand. British supermodel Kate Moss, who dated Depp from 1994 to 1998, and she gave her testimony via a live video link. She tried to debunk rumors that were brought up by her that Depp allegedly pushed her down a flight of stairs. And she flat out said, under oath, he never pushed me, kicked me, or threw me down any stairs. So, how do you think? Moss's testimony it will sit with the jury I guess and plays into what you're talking about.
3: Kate Moss's testimony was so short and sweet. There wasn't even a cross-examination after she finished. She was just there to say, "Listen, he never pushed me down the stairs. It was a very rainy day. There was rain on the stairs. She was walking down the stairs in heels. She slipped and he picked her up, brought her back to the hotel room and got medical aid." If I was a juror, I think that I would say hey, listen, here is a longtime ex who is willing to testify for him, who is at least saying that he doesn't have a history of intimate partner violence. To believe Amber's story, you'd have to believe that he took that up somewhat out of nowhere in his 50s. So I think it will it will be somewhat powerful, particularly after hearing her friend's say that they are no longer in contact with her, that those relationships have fallen apart.
1: Old Depp struck down Hurd's claims that he did not help her get her role in Aquaman. He also went on to call Hurd's assault allegations against him insane and that things had gotten out of control. So do you think this is just kind of like their final hurrah in terms of striking down pretty much everything that she's said?
3: I think that there were some powerful points that he got in during that rebuttal testimony, but I also think that the cross-examination of Johnny Depp was, was very powerful for Amber's side. The bar for what constitutes defamation, particularly of a public figure like Johnny Depp, is rightfully very high. And I think that it did appear as if he was being a little weaselly about some things, like whether or not... A photo depicted a mark that he said was a bruise that predated when he said that she hit him or being a little less than forthcoming about the provenance of certain text messages. So I think it did look like he was capable of lying and being misleading.
1: But in terms of their lives, where do you see it netting out from your purview in court and in the court of public opinion?
3: I think that Depp's purpose in bringing this suit was basically to clear his name. I think that he wanted the legal process to go to work. He wanted the discovery process. He wanted a legal mechanism to put everything out there. And he wanted to be vindicated in that way. I don't think it meant as much to him whether he wins the case outright. I think that a lot of people are looking at this evidence and saying, at the very least, it was more complicated than he is a straightforward abuser and she is a straightforward victim. He might become more castable in the future than he is now. Other people who are in a hiring position might at least look at the fact that if he's not abusive, he certainly has some pretty serious drug problems and might not be too easy to work with. On her side, I don't think that she will have a lot of purchase as a star moving forward. I think that people who are hiring for jobs are going to, you know, stay away from her at least for a little while.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on and and for breaking all this down with us.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me.
1: Okay, you guys, such a heavy, heavy last couple of days, I tell you. I thought we could really use something, something to lighten the mood and, and just, you know, sweeten things up a little bit, which is why this photo I saw of American treasure, Dick Van Dyke, really made my day. The iconic comedic actor is 96 years young and was recently photographed out and about with his wife. And I have to say, looking pretty spry for someone nearing a century of life. But what really brought a smile to my face is, one, just seeing him still so full of life, and two, he has this big, burly white beard that makes him look like Santa Claus, which is just everything. And three, in the photo, he's wearing a shirt that reads, a spoon full of sugar with an image of a spoon filled with sugar obviously this is a nod to his role in making the classic disney film mary poppins maybe it's just everything going on this week but seeing dick van dyke still repping mary poppins all these years later is really something so innocent and sweet and and just a little tiny something to make you smile so please do yourself a favor and go check out the photo Well, thank you all for joining us again today. I seriously can't thank you enough for the incredible support we get from you, our listeners. We'll be back again tomorrow to close out the week and prepare you for the unofficial start of summer on People Every Day.